It is good to be with you. Welcome to Northridge Church and, and welcome home. We are grateful to have you no matter where you're joining us from, whether that's our, our Webster family, our online campus, or our Rochester family. We, we love you guys and thank you for being here and welcome home. Welcome to Northridge Church. And you know, fall is in the air. You can feel it in the brisk mornings. You can smell it in the pumpkin spice lattes. It just feels good, doesn't it? I love this season, and before we dive too deep in this morning, I just want to celebrate with us as a church. You know, a lot happens at Northridge Church way beyond what we do on a Sunday morning, right? And we got a taste of that last night. I'm a little bit more tired than I normally would be because last night I was partying with about 300 young adults who were praising the name of Jesus right here in our Rochester campus. And man, I, I, I want to tell you, church, our, our future looks bright because it's amazing that 300 kids in our society would give up their Saturday to worship Jesus. That's worth celebrating today. Come on. And speaking of the next generation, last uh, Wednesday, our Webster campus for the first time launched NYM multi-site. And so we launched a middle school ministry at our Webster campus. They had 37 middle schoolers show up. 12 of them were brand new to our church. And you know what I love about Northridge is we pour in to the next generation because that's the future of our church. Yeah, we can celebrate that. We've got a class going on right now called The Story of Reality, and people are growing in their faith, learning of how God plays into our reality, how he is the reality. And so, man, there's just so much going on. And I tell people this all the time. Don't measure a church based off the hour you show up, right? If all you get the experience of Northridge Church is just the hour on Sunday, can I tell you, you're missing a whole lot, because all throughout the week, God is moving in the life of our church, and it's worth celebrating, it's worth seeing. And so, you know, September is a month in our household where Joelle thinks it's her birthday month, right? So she's born in September, and so she believes all month long, she constantly reminds us that it's her birthday and she should be celebrated, right? All month Long And so we knew this was coming, and so Ashley and I, we, 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 went, we went to Joel and we said, hey, Joel, for your birthday, you got two options, right? You can have a party, and you can hang out with all your friends for a couple hours, and we can party it up, or you can pick, you know, one or two of your best friends, and you can spend all day doing whatever you want with them. And so as a seven-year-old, it took her like three or four days to kind of deliberate, like, oh, what should I do? Like, this is a hard choice. And so Joelle landed on, she wanted to sp spend a day with her best friend. And so that was last Sunday. She came over to our house. And part of that, that day was mom promised Joelle, the friend, and Ruby Kate that they would go get pedicures. Ladies, I mean, come on, right? Can I get an Amen. And so, you know, we, we, pedicures were like the, the topic in the Karshner household until that day come. But every time pedicures were mentioned, Ruby Kate, our four-year-old, started crying. Right? Like, Daddy, Daddy, I don't want to go get a pedicure. I don't know what it is. I'm scared. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't want them to touch me, Daddy. No, I'm not going. Do I have to? And so after like two to three times of hearing Ruby Kate whine and moan about the pedicures, I was like, listen, Ruby Kate, listen, look at Daddy. I'm like, you're going to love this, right? They put your feet in like bubbly water and they've got neon and, and LED lights. They got pink lights, Ruby Kate, pink lights. And, you know, they, 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 they rub your feet with, with lotion and they'll, Ruby Kate, they'll paint your toenails any color you choose. 
And you might ask, how do I know all this? Nate Miller told me. <laughs> uh, Webster, you got to be careful. You're Webster Cam's pastor getting pedicures. I don't know. That's a little weird. And so Ruby Kate is still like, Daddy, I, I don't want to go. I'm nervous. I'm scared. And finally I was like, okay, Ruby Kate, look into Daddy's eyes. It's like, Ruby Kate, does Daddy want you to have fun in life? Yeah, Daddy does. Ruby Kate, look in my eyes. Would Daddy ever put you in a place where he knew you were going to get hurt? No, Daddy wouldn't. I was like, Ruby Kate. You can trust me. And I feel like that's the same conversation that God wants to have with us. Right? Because God looks at us, and in moments where we doubt God, God's like, hold on, look into my eyes. Do I have what's best in mind for you? The answer is yes, and because of that, we can trust God. And if you weren't with us last week, we, we dove headfirst into this series we're calling Against all odds. And what we're doing is we're talking about this major issue we have and fully 100% of us trusting God. And through this series, we're going to look at, at person after person in the history of the Bible who was put in positions and circumstances where the odds, life was against them, but through their trust in God, they overcame the odds. Last week, we, we looked at Noah and his story. And today, we're going to dig even deeper into this word, this issue called trust. And so if you've got your Bibles, Joshua chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Joshua chapter 6. I'd encourage you to grab your device or your Bible. You can go ahead and turn there, jump into the Northridge Church app. You can take notes. You're going to need them in your community group this week. And uh, before we dive into Joshua chapter 6, I actually want to catch you up from Noah all the way to Joshua. There were some, some events that kind of build up to this moment, right? So last week we talked about Noah and the ark and how he sa God saved humanity through Noah and his family. And so after the ark, right, God gives Noah and his family the same command he gave Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. And so they, they begin to have kids, and their kids have kids, and the, the earth is populated again. And then God comes to a man named Abram, and he says, Abram, I'm going to make a great nation out of your descendants. And so he promises Abram that he would do that, and, and the journey takes a while to get there because there's this family in the Hebrew uh, uh, people that, that had a lot of boys, right? And he, his family, Jesse, had you know, a bunch of sons. The, the youngest was his favorite. His name was Joseph. And it ticked his older brothers off so much that they sold him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. And through God's sovereignty, he becomes second in charge of all of Egypt. And that was significant because there were, a famine was to come, and they had to store up food. And so the Hebrew people had to come to Egypt to get food to, to stay alive. And Joseph is reunited with his family, and he saves the Hebrew people. The problem is, when Joseph dies, the Egyptian empire forgets all that the Hebrew people did. And instead of, of treating them well, they make them slaves. For 400 years, they're slaves to the Egyptian empire until Moses, God calls a leader named Moses to come back and deliver the, the nation of Israel out of bondage and lead them to the promised land. And so Moses does that through plagues, through miracles after miracles, and Moses is supposed to lead them in the promised land, and it gets a little haywire -y. And Mo Moses doesn't do that, and so he, he dies, and then a new leader steps in. His name is Joshua, and Joshua is about ready to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land, and that's where we find ourselves in Joshua chapter 6. We pick it up in verse 1. It says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. 
And so Joshua is leading the nation of Israel to Jericho, and they're, they're, there's a huge issue, right? They're, they're ready to conquest o- over Jericho. The problem is, is Jericho is a fortified city. They had heard of what the God of Israel has done in, in Egypt, and so they basically go on lockdown, right? And, and they have massive walls, and in this culture, the way you were from a military advantage, you would build massive walls to protect your city. It was a huge advantage, and so Joshua has to figure out a way to conquer this city, even though it has massive walls. And I always wondered what, what Jericho would have looked like. Right, I've been there, I've been to the ruins of Jericho, I've seen small pieces of the wall, but whenever I picture Jericho, I always go to the Lord of the Rings, the two towers. This is kind of what I picture Jericho looking like. <laughs> and just think for a second, think you're in charge of the nation's army, and somehow you have to conquer a city like that. Right? You have to come up with some genius plan to scale the walls and get your men inside the walls to actually fight the battle without dying on the journey over the walls. So what is Joshua going to do? But what's interesting is God says something unique in verse 2. He says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting man. Now, don't miss this. We could easily read past this, right? But look at that word delivered. It's in past tense. God is saying to Joshua, before the battle ever starts, I've already won it. I've already delivered. You're looking at the walls. Don't worry about them because God is, God is ready to do something that you, you can't even imagine because I've already delivered them. I've taken care of it, Joshua. I don't need you to be a military strategist right now. What I need from you is, guess what? Your trust. You see, the same question that God asked Noah to build an ark is the same question he's going to ask the leader of the nation of Israel. Joshua, do you trust me? Do you trust me, Joshua? Because what's interesting is if if you read the Bible and you study story after story, person after person, right, here's what's awesome about God is God has a history of asking ordinary people to do extraordinary things through trust, right, right? What's, what's so fascinating about Joshua's story is here, he, God's getting ready to ask Joshua to trust him fully, and he could just look back in his history and see God's faithfulness. Right, Joshua could look back at the previous leader named Moses and he could write down in, in, a, in a diary all the things that God did miraculous through Moses' trust. And the same is true for you today. Sometimes when you doubt God, maybe it's a good thing to just look in your past and see how faithful God has been. Sometimes it's wise to just look back and say, wow, God has provided over and over again. It, it wasn't the way I thought it would be, but guess what? God has always come through. And some of us, when, we, when we, we lack trust in God, we need to remind ourselves of how faithful and how good God is. And some of you here are like, I just, I, I don't know, Drew, I just, trust is so hard for me. I don't know if I can get there. How could Joshua get there? How can I really trust God? Well, one of the major reasons why you should trust God is because when God says something, he does something. Right? Isn't that one of the major walls that, that, that we put up from from? times we have trusted, right? I would bet most of you, if you have trust issues, it's because you tried trust and it failed, right? You, you put up these walls of, of, of not trusting anybody because you trusted somebody and they failed you. They let you down. And so your, your solution to that problem is, I'm just not going to trust 
anybody. Let me know how that gets you. Let me know how good it is. The great thing about God is, is when he says he will do something, he's going to do it. Now let me give you a caveat. It won't probably be the way you think it should be. It probably won't be in your timetable. And this is where most of us lose our trust in God because we have expectations of how God's going to work and when he doesn't work in those expectations, we believe God has failed us. No, God didn't fail you. Your expectations of God failed you. Right? Don't trust in your expectations of what God should do for you. Trust in the God who will provide for you. Right? Because when God says something, he's going to do it. He'll be faithful to it. It's probably not going to look the way you want it. And so the question is, Joshua... Are you going to trust God? Do you trust him? Because he's about to reveal his plan. Joshua chapter 6, verse 3, it says, March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. So this is the first part of God's plan. And, and this part actually kind of makes sense. Joshua, I want you to take all your armed men. These were the guys with the big guns and the sharp swords. You know, and hey, I, I want you to, to march around Jericho once every day for six days. And, and this is like the psychological part of war, right? The intimidation. These guys are just going to march around the city in silence, looking at the guys at the wall of Jericho. Yeah, yeah, we coming for you. It's about to go down. Oh, yeah, you can be afraid. You see these things? <laughs> yes, they're coming for you. And in our society today, you know, you know what we might call this? A haka. You're all like, Drew just made up a word, didn't he? <laughs> you probably don't know what a haka is, but in, 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 the, in uh, the rugby games, there's this team called the All Blacks. And before they ever get into like the smashing of the game on the battlefield, in the field playing rugby, they do a dance in front of their opponent to intimidate them. Watch this. Yo, if that doesn't scare you, I don't know what will. <laughs> that guy on the edge with the tongue out of his mouth, they uh, just run for the hills. And so Joshua hears the first part of God's play. He's like, I can get with this. All right, we're going to send some intimidation. That gets a little bit weirder, right? He says, have seven priests carry trumpets of ram horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, that was battle day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. 
And when you hear them sound a long blast of the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. And so Joshua is probably still with God's plan. This is, they did this historically. Like, okay, we're going to take the Ark of the Covenant. This is God's presence. And, and we're going to sound the trumpets. And when you hear that long blast of the trumpets, the whole army is going to shout. It's like a brave heart moment. And we're going to run. And we're going to climb the, 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 the walls. We're going to put up our ladders. And we're going to take Jericho. Right? Right, God? I'm with you. Let's go. He's like, hold on a second. See, when you shout, Joshua, <laughs> it says, then the walls of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. <laughs> okay, remember who Joshua is. He's the commander of the army, the primary leader of Israel. And he's like, God, you're banking on us blowing down the walls of Jericho. Okay, okay. Just give me a moment, God. Seriously, this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard, God. This isn't the three little pigs, right, where you huff and you bluff and you blow the house down. Like, it's just not how it works, God. Like, and remember, remember the moment here, right? This is Joshua's like, first moment as the primary leader. And guess who he's following? Moses. Right, Moses, the guy who delivered the nation out of Israel, Moses and the 10 plagues, right? This is Joshua stepping into Moses' leadership, right? And this is his first moment to prove himself as a leader. And can you imagine that battle speech? All right, guys, you're going to blow as hard as you can. And, and the, wall, the, walls are gonna, the, the walls are gonna come down, I think. And, and Joshua has to be thinking in his head, what if this doesn't work? Guess what Israel's gonna do? Where's Moses? God, will you get you? Really? This is the leader you gave us? This is his strategy for winning this battle? Joshua, do you trust me? And I think this brings up uh, one of the walls we have with trusting God fully. And I think it has to do with our mentality, with the way our minds work. Because you can take humanity, and I think you can really divide it into in two ways, the way tendencies our minds work, the way we think about things. And I, I think the first group is, is the people who are driven by logic. All right, how many of you today at all of our campuses, put your hands up, chat it up. Like, how many of you are driven by logic? Put your hands in the air. Okay, these are the type of people who, they are critical thinkers. They're driven by data. And so when they have to make a decision, they do the research. They, 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 they look at life through reason. And so when it comes to a logic person, right, when you look at God's plan for Joshua, your, 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 your mind says, this isn't going to work. God, I've, I've run the numbers. I, I've studied every time someone has tried to blow over a wall of stone, and it doesn't work. Right? If you, if you want to try this today, just go downtown Rochester and blow on any building you choose. Let me know if it falls over. Right? Your logic just tells you, God, uh, dumb idea. Let's move on to the next one. But then there's the other side of humanity. These are the people who are driven by their gut, their feelings, or their emotions. Come on. Are you those people? Raise your hands. Okay, these are, these are the type of people who hear a song on the radio that moves them and they're ready to change the world, do whatever that you, you need me to do. Because when their emotions and their heart is in it, you can't stop them. And the problem with, with these type of people is we would have never waited for God's plan. We would have heard some battle cry and we would have been fighting and climbing the walls and dying on the way, right? Here's what's interesting. 
No matter how you approach life, what's interesting about the logic and and the gut person is they look at life completely different. They make decisions completely different. But the danger in both of these mentalities is the same. It's self. Right? It's, It's you putting the emphasis on your ability, your wisdom, your emotions to guide what you do. And here's what I want you to understand. The common denominator with both of these mentalities, these ways of thinking, is the common denominator is we trust more in ourselves than we trust in God. I want you to understand this because this is really important to know. When it comes to trusting God, the greatest barrier to you fully trusting God isn't your circumstances. It isn't an outside factor. The greatest barrier to you trusting God is you. And it's me. Because somehow we've convinced ourselves that we know more than God. We've convinced ourselves that our way is better than God's way. What's interesting about society is it's making a a significant shift. I heard a talk from Timothy Keller. I thought this was so mind-blowingly interesting. Because if you go back 10 to 20 years, society and culture, when it came to searching for truth, they would look for something outside of them, right? Something bigger than them, a deity, a God, right? So in society 20 years ago, when someone was in pursuit of truth, they would look for for someone greater than them, someone bigger than them. But there's this shift in in society and culture today where now, when, when society looks for truth, they look here first. They look inside rather than outside. And what's happened is now we trust ourselves more than any other thing. And the problem with that is Proverbs says, our theme verse, I hope you're memorizing it with me, it says trust in the Lord. You find me a place in the Bible where it says, hey, put your hope and your trust in yourself. Good luck. Right? It says, trust in God with all your heart. And, and here, I love how it addresses the different mentalities. And it says to the logic person, hey, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on all your data. Don't lean on your own wisdom. Because guess what? God has a way of defying data. God has a way of, of blowing your mind. And for the, for the gut person, it says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. What that means is you don't do what you want and then put some Christian language on it that says, yeah, God told me what to do. No, no, God didn't tell you to do that. Your emotions told you to do that, and now you're blaming God for it. Right? And then he says, and he, and he, God, not you. You see, the problem for many of you is you're directing your path, and it's backwards. It says, actually, God should direct your path. That's what trust looks like. And so let's go back to the story, right? Joshua Do you trust me? And the question is, how could Joshua trust God with this really dumb plan? Where do we find where Joshua makes the decision to follow God? Well, I actually think it happens before God ever gave him the plan. Right, let's go to Joshua chapter 5, because I think a lot of us, we never tie these two parts together to the same story. We often just go to the battlefield, but it's what happened before the battle ever began, where Joshua saw how to trust God. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, it says they're on their way to Jericho. It says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? 
Neither, he replied, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Okay, so something really unique happens before Joshua and the, the Israelites ever got to Jericho. And so they're on their way, they're journeying toward this military operation, and Joshua sees a man standing there with a, a, a sword drawn, right? And so if you're going to battle, you probably, it makes sense to ask the guy with the sword drawn, like, whose, whose side are you on? And that's exactly what Joshua does. He walks up, we know this is the commander of the Lord's army, scripture tells us that. And so he walks up, Joshua doesn't know that, he walks up and he says, hey, are you with us? Or are you against us? Makes sense, right? It's probably a wise question. Look at the answer, though. The commander of the Lord's army says, neither. Now, hold on a second. I, I thought that God, I, I, we, this is the nation of Israel. Like, God, you, I think you should be on our side. We're your chosen people. Like, neither? What, what do you mean, God? Like, what is going on here? And you see, this is what often happens with our trust. I think we do the same thing Joshua did. We ask the wrong question. Because Joshua was so concerned about God being on their team, he forgot he was supposed to be on God's team. You see, he asked the wrong question because let me tell you something today. God is not on your team. He is not on your side. The question is, are you on his side? Too many of us, we want God to be on our team and fulfill our will. Can I tell you, God's not interested in fulfilling your will. He's interested in fulfilling his will to give him glory and not you. And Joshua looks at the commander of the Lord's army and he says, whose team are you on? And he's like, bro, neither. Because I fulfill the will of the God. And the question is, are you in or are you out? Do you truly trust me? And if you want to know if, you're, if you have this mentality or not, just look at your prayer life. When all you pray for is your desires and your wants rather than the will of God, you're trying to ask God if he's on your team rather than you being on his team. Look at what changes. Look how Joshua changes when he realizes it. It says, then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord, like don't miss that. Joshua's first like, hey, are you on my team? Or, 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 how's this gonna work? And, and when he realizes who he's talking about, he says, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So Joshua, what happens is he realizes who he's talking about. Here's what's so interesting about this passage. We, we, we often overlook this, right? So Joshua falls down in worship. So that gives us a clear indication that this isn't an angel from God because we don't worship angels. Revelation makes that really clear. And so most scholars believe that this is Jesus in the Old Testament. And you might wonder, why is Jesus here? Let's go back to the beginning, right? Remember when... When God said to Joshua, I've already 